Gold? Who sees gold? I see nothing but air. Hello and welcome to the brand new series four of the Decrypting Crypto podcast. I'm Matthew House Barbie, and back again. I'm here with my host Austin Knight. Hey Matt, and hello to everyone listening. It's awesome to be back. Yeah, it's been uh, a very eventful yet brief feeling six month hiatus uh, <laughs> that we've had from the podcast uh, a lot of big life events gone on uh, uh, congratulations Austin on on getting married during those six months thank you yeah it's exciting congratulations on moving back to your homeland <laughs> <laughs> yeah I finally made the move decided the best time possible to move back to England would be right in the midst of the chaos of Brexit. What more stability could you want? <laughs> yes. uh, I figured it's in the spirit of crypto for at least <laughs> me to come back during major flux. You are comfortable uh, in chaos. <laughs> <laughs> I think as uh, as hosts of this podcast, Austin, I think we pretty much have to live by that mantra, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and talking about chaos, we, we've seen a lot of fluctuation... To, to, to dive into like the price of cryptocurrency over the past six months. It's went from near the start of the year being some of the like all-time lows for the past, say, three, three and a half years. And I mean, as we're as we're talking right now in July 2019, we're we're back up and uh, up and running to some of the bigger than some of the highs of uh, 2018, actually. Yeah, it's impressive. Uh, right now, as we're chatting, Bitcoin is up over 11k. Ether, Ether is at 292, so just floating below that 300 mark. Litecoin is at roughly 120. So these numbers actually are um, oddly familiar to me. I I think that <laughs> at least Ether and Litecoin were around these same numbers when we first like in the very early days of when we started planning to record this podcast mm. um, before the that rapid growth period happened when we were actually recording. And then, yeah. of course, the inevitable drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the infamous uh, crypto summer of uh, 2017, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't want to... I don't want to point out the the correlation between us taking a break and crypto firing back up I, I wonder if we're cursing everyone right now by starting this podcast up again uh it's the only consistent thing that's happened in my life <laughs> that has coincided with cryptocurrencies dropping in value so i i think it, it it does have something to do maybe it's to do with you specifically matt i don't know how i could have any impact on it, this it, it could be it could be <laughs> I'm I'm tainted right now, uh, so yeah, maybe we'll just have to have you run in solo when. Yeah. We're in the <laughs> oh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Something tells me that we would hit some brand new lows. <laughs> <laughs> but but our crypto portfolios would look way better. <laughs> All right. Well, one one of the big kind of news stories, one of the big announcements that's that's came up quite recently that we're going to touch on and i think it's a, a perfect time for us to dig into this is a little company called facebook 
and they've made a somewhat large announcement. And that announcement is that they are launching what they have called a global cryptocurrency. And we're going to dig into the ins and outs of that, how's that's, how that's been structured, and try to distill this down into some of the key takeaways. Because I think, and, and, and I'm sure you'll agree here, Austin, as we were pouring into a lot of the information out there, there's a lot of jargon even for, for us to pour through. There's like a million different news outlets covering this, most of which have never covered, covered like blockchain and cryptocurrency. And there's a lot of misleading information, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think in our typical fashion here, we're going to do our best to distill this down into language that your commoner can understand. <laughs> absolutely. And we have the perfect two commoners here to <laughs> yes. use as a barometer. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's 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 dig into the main discussion. Okay, so Facebook have announced... They've launched a new global cryptocurrency. It's called Libra. It will launch in the year 2020, so next year, not long. Um, to say that Facebook have launched this is maybe part of the story, really, here, Austin, isn't it? Because Facebook have developed the, the technology. They have been the ones, I mean, we've talked about Facebook all the way back, maybe in our first series, actually, where we were wondering when they would come into this space but it seems that they have played a patient game had a look and assessed the market not made any rash decisions they brought in some big key figures in the blockchain industry uh into their originally their blockchain team and they've now spun up uh, a new subsidiary and uh, a non-profit organization that they've become a part of right yeah, this nonprofit organization is something that they've formed called the Libra Association, which its intent and purpose is to govern Libra, but it won't set monetary policy. So there are 28 founding members, and each of them had to pay a minimum of a $10 million entry fee. So these are big fish, and they're serious. We're talking members like MasterCard, Visa, PayPal, Stripe, Uber, Lyft, Coinbase, Spotify, Andreessen Horowitz, and a number of others. We'll we'll put the full list in the description. But uh, this is this is some mainstream stuff that's happening mm. here. You've got a mainstream tech giant launching a global cryptocurrency, as they described it, with an association of mainstream big players that uh, many of which have been in the financial industry and fintech for quite some time. Yeah. And I mean, we were personally going to become the 29th founding member of the Deep Crypto, <laughs> Crypto podcast, but we, you know, we decided let's, let's just spend that 10 million elsewhere. I, I don't think it's the right time for us right now, right? Yeah, I, I I don't know how many additional shoddy podcast ads we would have to pack this podcast with in order to pay for that. How, how many, like, crap coins we would have to pump. But, um... Yeah, yeah, next next week's episode is actually a full feature three hour episode featuring <laughs> mainly all ads. Uh, so please stay tuned for that one and listen back to it repetitively because we need the ad revenue right now. Um, but no, in in all seriousness, I think one of the things I was listening to um, Laura Shin's Unchained podcast, which is a 
uh, ha- has been consistently a, f- a fantastic uh, podcast um, in the the blockchain cryptocurrency wider space. But she had uh, one of the team members from Facebook on. Um, I'm trying to remember uh, his name. It's Dante something. Uh, but anyway, he was a core part of the Libra Association, and one of the things that one of the questions that Laura posed to him was the fact that there were no banks in the association yet. And I think the two most notable companies in the association right now are Mastercard and Visa. I think it was a huge step for them to yeah. acknowledge cryptocurrency properly right now and become a big part of this uh, founding kind of board of associations but there are no banks um so what dante said was that actually you know that they're hoping to have over 100 members for the launch in 2020 they're already speaking to a number of mainstream banks so i i've seen a number of articles reading into this a little bit too much i just wanted to call that out that I think this is a matter of time. I mean, we've got PayPal, Stripe, Visa, MasterCard. I think there's going to be a lot of banks that are going to be very interesting being founding members in not only this uh, enormous not-for-profit organization focused on basically governing a a global cryptocurrency, but one that is also uh, located in Switzerland, which might have its own benefits uh, alongside that, which... Uh, I think are quite obvious. But I, I do think there's one interesting thing within all of this. And this is that all members of the, the Libra Association that you were talking about there, Austin, have one single vote each. It doesn't matter how much money they have uh, put up into, and, and we'll explain why they've been putting up uh, that 10, mi- 10 million minimum entry fee, but um, there will not be any differences in the voting rights that they that the individual organizations in this group have they all have one they're trying to keep that at least as democratic as possible which i which i think is a very positive step yeah i think it's it's uh the right thing to do you know you've got 100 members that are going to be part of this they're all paying their 10 million dollar entry fee and i think that it will lead to an interesting future where you have major incumbents like mastercard and visa um waving the same weight in term of vote uh, mm. as, you know, new tech like Stripe and Coinbase. So uh, definitely, I, I think that's an interesting way to structure it. On the point with the, there, there not being any banks in the association yet, I know that one of the interesting pieces that uh, they've been thinking about was that having a bank join could potentially be a solution for where they store their reserve, which Mm. I think is this next really interesting piece of Libra, uh, which is that it's a stable coin. So it's backed by a reserve and its price really, it shouldn't fluctuate that much, which I think gets at one of, if not the largest pain points that (laughs) Mm. we've, we've very much experienced and identified with cryptocurrencies. So beyond all of the UX stuff and the regulatory stuff that we've talked about, I think this is a really interesting step in a direction of saying, hey, you know, we're, we're going to ensure that this potentially mainstream cryptocurrency is going to be 
stable. Now, with that said, details on the reserve haven't been verified yet. So it could be USD or it could be a mix of fiat currency or it could be something completely different. As Matt said, with this being based in Switzerland and not the US, um, you could imagine things going a lot of different ways. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that's the really interesting thing. They've addressed clearly something that I think a lot of um, really diehard Bitcoiners and people that have been in the cryptocurrency space and blockchain space from its really early days, very pro-decentralization, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, don't always appreciate that for this to become a mass-adopted currency by everyday people right now, and, and understanding people's like usage behavior, how they use current payment systems right now, I I don't believe, and I I would struggle to find a good argument to say that like Bitcoin is the use case for this right now. The the volatility will put too many people off, and you need to have a good amount of technical knowledge. And bear in mind, a lot of the uh, the living population still struggle to use a smartphone, let alone um, understand like a private key and like all of all of that that comes with it this is a big hurdle but just to just to come on to this point of the reserve so what we're talking about here you may have heard um cryptocurrencies like tether for example that are pegged against the dollar this is exactly what libra is going to be doing so it's libra is going to be pegged against an actual reserve um We've we've heard this with cryptocurrency before, uh, i.e. the petro uh, being pegged against oil. Uh, maybe not the best example though, um, but we we don't we still don't know exactly what the um, the reserve is going to be made up. As you were talking about Austin, right? It might be USD. It might be a mixture of different fiat. But that's where all of this cash is cut going into. So the likes of Uber, Stripe, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, this is where things get interesting, is they are putting up the, the cash for the reserve. So when we talk about, okay, there's equal voting rights and things like that, why would, for example, Uber put in, say, 100 million instead of 10 million? For example, I'm not saying they have done that, but a lot of uh, the, the member organizations have put in more than the, the 10 million minimum, right? This is where things get interesting. So you have becoming a member, you have voting rights, but then you also stand to like benefit financially based on how much you put into the reserve because what they've created is the Libra investment token. So the more that you put in, and there's also people who will verify transactions on the tech level, etc. They will earn a dividend payout for the amount uh, from interest earned by the Libra Reserve. So the more people holding Libra, the more that those dividends will be paid out, the more Libra investment tokens that you have, the greater your share of dividends. So I think this is like our first interesting point where there is an incentive for companies that have a greater um, stake in Libra investment tokens to actually incentivize maybe like them to encourage either regulation or just simply through marketing for people to cash into Libra and hold on to the cryptocurrency, meaning the reserve would earn interest on this cash, which means they would then earn more money. So that, I think that's a very, very interesting thing to call out in all of this 
and is very important when we discuss is this a force for good or evil and how easy can it be manipulated? What are your thoughts on that, Austin? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I like this idea of a sort of positive incentivization system um, to help keep the, the, the currency stable and moving in the right direction and also to ensure that companies, at least theoretically, we'll, we'll see how this plays out because, of course, there are other ways to influence things, but at, at least in the way that they've set it up, have an equal vote while also standing to still benefit um, you know, off of the, the any larger investment that they make and that that benefit would be tied directly to the success of the currency and thereby success of the individuals that use the currency. It's, it's certainly interesting. Uh, we'll see. Yeah, I think that's going to be the biggest piece in all of this, and I'm sure there's lots of questions. I think that it's it is actually, in all honesty, um, if if I look at this overall, I am quite skeptical of the claims that uh, that the Libra Association have been making, that Facebook have been making, that are very much geared around this is a decentralized project. I mean, we'll, we'll come into this, but it's I mean, categorically, it's not. Um, it's there's this non-profit organization it's very democratic everything's open and equal and it, and i think it's easy then with with my skepticism to tear this apart i think that's the easiest thing but then when i when i kind of take a step back and i think well how do you deploy a mass adopted global cryptocurrency through existing tech platforms in a simplified way that calms the concerns of the all of the like honestly bad press that cryptocurrency has had over the the past maybe two to three years from the everyday consumer and the fear-mongering that happens there how do you go about this because i think there is the argument that you know these these individual members there has to be kind of like a balance between competitors that are actively working together but also an incentive for them to push this forward and act in the interest of libra versus just themselves that's that's a very tough balance to strike. Yeah, and I think that what you're kind of raising as a question there is a big question that for the last several years has been asked of big tech in general and Facebook being a member of that, which is, you know, is this a force for good or evil? And I think that that question can be trickled down to Libra itself as well. I know it's certainly a question that I've been asking myself as I've been watching this develop, and I don't feel like I've been able to adequately answer that, which is why I think partially like deep dives like this are uh, interesting and helpful. But I'm also interested to understand from other folks of the community, people who may be listening, um, and also future guests that we're planning to bring on the podcast. This is a question that we are going to pose, which is a, a pretty simple and straightforward, you know, do you feel like what's your gut feel on this? Is, is this something mm -hmm. that is going to be ultimately good? Or are the the risks and these slight changes and the, the structure that can certainly be ex explained away as uh, as Matt just managed to do here, but also can be can poke holes and uh, cause skepticism? Is it p potentially something that could lead to evil and, you know, maybe not like uh, evil in the like world domination sense, but evil in the the simple eroding of the principles that backed up and laid the foundation for this technology in the first place. Yeah, and I think a lot of this as well, that like, is this a force for good or force for evil? 
I think if we were talking about Facebook maybe three years ago, our opinion might be slightly different. I think there's been obviously a lot of high-profile bad press around yeah. Facebook. In particular, ultimately, senior leadership at Facebook deceiving the broader public. I mean, Cambridge Analytica is like one perfect example of this where they've said that they will do uh, protect certain data, etc., etc., and they... they they went completely against that. And we we know that it's difficult to trust most big companies. This isn't isolated to just tech. I think it's just so much more True. in the public spotlight, in yeah. all fairness. It's and a very easy think, target. There's a lot of money. Oh, <laughs> oh, exactly, right? And yeah. uh, and I think that it, it th- there's one thing, one opinion that I do hold within this that I feel very strongly about, that I... I would truly dispute this with a lot of uh, a lot of people, regardless of how you feel about whether Facebook is a force for good or evil in uh, in cryptocurrency. And time will certainly tell. I do believe that Facebook is one of the few companies in the world right now that could truly bring cryptocurrency to the masses in the mo- in the more immediate future. I just look at their reach, the the uh, the users that they have on their platform, ultimately the general level of trust on a user level um, from their product that they have, and just the sheer market share they have in basically every interaction of people's everyday lives. Um, I, I do think that they are very well positioned if they act accordingly to do good here. We'll see how that kind of pans out in, in reality, though. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's it's uh, you're absolutely correct that like the size, scale, and influence of Facebook and their their ability to also design and build at scale and mm-hmm. and understand what it takes to get adoption at scale uh, is something that they they are one of a small handful of companies that that could bring that to the table. Uh, the interesting question would be to pose, especially to some of our previous guests that that you know have been uh, in this space from the very beginning uh, and have very strong principles surrounding the technology um, you know of whether they would they would like to see their baby uh, <laughs> make it to the masses but compromise on its principles or rather they would uh, rather have it die. Um, yep. than be compromised. And I think that you would get a mixed bag of answers there. And so I, I think, you know, whether we like it or not, this is something that Libra is ultimately going to experiment with. So we'll see where that lands us. Yeah, and I think this is something we're going to follow uh, as this develops. As we say, Libra is not going to launch until 2020. Uh, that's at best six months, but I would imagine it's probably going to be closer to the middle of the year that they, they probably launch something like this. Um, also, on top of this, they still need to finalize how the reserve works, etc., etc. But um, one of the one of the areas that I don't think neither one of us are truly qualified to uh, give too much information around this is uh, the regulatory challenges that Facebook are going to come up against, right? And should I say Libra and the Libra Association is going to come up against, and that that's something that we're going to be digging into with some experts in the space uh, over the the course of the next few episodes. But we were following some interesting commentary around some of this, and I think that um, 
I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, been reading a lot of uh, coverage and commentary around this particular aspect, and regulation seems to be the, the most cloudy part. So as you mentioned, Austin, right, the Libra Association will not set monetary policy. So what it says is, and I, I quote, it says it only mints and burns coins only in response to demand, right? And there's some really interesting comments on Twitter from uh, Andreas Antonopoulos. I'd highly recommend you follow him on, on Twitter, one of the true OGs of the blockchain industry. Um, and the, in short, right, is that in this giant tweet thread that we'll share out in the show notes, he makes the argument that while they can't change the monetary policy for a given country, right, like Libra Association will not be able to do that, at least directly, if a, if a country like was to apply their own monetary policy that, for example, devalues their fiat currency, we talked about this in series three with Venezuela, uh, which was a, a, a tragic example of this. Um, India is a, also a recent example with a rupee. Um, but then if this happens and the people of those nations have access to a real hard alternative in Libra, it actually completely undermines the monetary policy of that nation. So it, it does beg the question, like, there's a lot of arguments you could make to say that is an incredibly good thing. Uh, I don't... I, you remember that Reddit thread that we were reading through from the um, that guy from Venezuela, and he was talking about his experiences during the monetary policy setting, the, the giant recession, all of the 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 peak awful times in Venezuela. And he's saying the only way I can even do anything right now is through Bitcoin, and I I think this is on a whole different kind of scale, really. There, but the question is, is that a good thing or does? Is it a bad thing in that while they don't necessarily set monetary policy, they are heavily influencing it, perhaps? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, an interesting question, for sure. Um, initially, when, when we're talking about oppressive regimes, I think it does, um, like, anything to undermine something like that and give you know financial power back to the people, um, I think is... A, a very attractive and and ultimately the right thing to to do to empower them with financial mobility but mm. um i would be interested to understand you know in in more stable or established economies or uh in nations where governments aren't creating negative financial impact for uh the, the people that are working and living within their system um, if this could also have an un unintended consequence or effect. Yeah, and I think also for for Libra as a as a currency, I think there's a huge threat here as well. I mean, India, uh, they, we saw, I think it was last year, um, 2018, they tried to just completely ban cryptocurrencies. Uh, they reversed that decision, and now I've I've read and I continue to read uh, lots of hyperbole around this that they they would um, look to ban cryptocurrencies again. I mean, how they actually do that in yeah. uh, in reality is is one thing. However, I think with Libra, 
it's much more of a reality to do that because as we as we kind of hinted to at the start of this right it's not truly decentralized it's not um just an autonomous entity that operates like bitcoin that cannot be stopped this uh as we poured into the the technical paper while they technically describe libra as uh a a decentralized running on a decentralized blockchain it actually does neither of the two right they they it's it's not the latter it's not a blockchain it's actually a merkle tree and uh without getting into that too much a merkle tree is a data structure that's it's used within lots of blockchains for example it's used within individual blocks of bitcoin but it it is actually not a blockchain itself um and you could also make a pretty clear argument that it's not decentralized at all the they started by saying that this will begin as a permissioned platform a permissioned blockchain as they call it um with a hope to move it to being permissionless so there's a lot of uh there's a lot of individual entry points that regulation could hit literally for example the libra association the individual members what happens if governments flex their muscle against the likes of uber and lyft in certain regions and force their arm to vote in a certain way uh similarly uber and lyft could flex their muscles to influence monetary policy in certain regions and this is actually what i heard um when a lot of the the facebook team making their official comments around libra um and now the libra association team should i say they very much hint towards like monetary policy and regulations all of our association companies will be responsible for being self-regulated and helping with regulation and that that to me feels like basically all of these massive companies are going to lobby nations to to change things in their favor but i i may be just being pessimistic there yeah i i wonder personally um like uh, using uber as like the 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 example here uh, specifically and Lyft as well, um, how how invested they want to be uh, in taking that type of a stand with government, uh, mm. and whether you know they feel that would be important to their core business. My my read, and I haven't seen this um, pop up too much in the press because I think it's sort of just a tangential. Uh, story. It's a much smaller story, but uh, I, I've I recently recorded an episode of the UX and Growth podcast, the other podcast that I host, mm. on a, a phenomena called super apps. This is a big uh, design phenomena that's that's hit Southeast Asia in, in the last several years, um, where basically you have a single app acting as an entire operating system, and some big players in this space include the likes of Grab and Didi, Alibaba. Um, but many of the, the point being like a lot of ride share or, or, you know, cab hailing or delivery apps like Deliveroo, for example, um, have created this all in one sort of operating system where in the same app, like in Grab, for example, you can hail a car, you can order food, you can send a package, but you can also store your entire wallet digitally. Um, so this goes into like this whole unbanked issue um, and like multiple currency issue that, that Southeast Asia faces with, with payments. But basically, 
these a, a lot of rideshare apps in Southeast Asia have built monetary tools and wallets and stuff like that into their apps very successfully. And mm. I imagine that this may be like a similar thing that Uber yeah. and Lyft are trying to do. Uh, so they're like, okay, let's get involved in the, you know, the association early. We can maybe use this as an avenue to like make our app robust in terms of payments and stuff like that. But does that mean that they're, they're going to be to the point where they're like going to bat with governments and, and stuff like that? I don't know. I, I would say that that's definitely not unprecedented for the likes of Visa and MasterCard, which have a very deep stake in yep. financial issues and policy and stuff like that. But uh, Uber and Lyft, I don't know. And and once you blow that out to 100 members, um, I think you'll probably see different levels of, of involvement. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and I think it's interesting on the note of super apps and really getting in at that, uh, the, the data layer of what everyone's doing across all of all aspects of their kind of online and offline uh, their, their life it often stems back to payments in some way and it's been it, it's been no secret that facebook has wanted to get into the the payment space for a number of years now they they tried out payments through um messenger i i believe they partnered with paypal on that um but th this is what also becomes interesting because facebook have launched a subsidiary business that is called Calibra. And Calibra's goal, this will be a for-profit organization uh, and owned by Facebook, which is their goal is to, I quote, to provide financial services that will let people access and participate in the Libra network. So in short, what this is, is this is a digital wallet. This is created by Facebook and it's pretty much sole purpose is to exchange Libra. It's going to be available in Messenger, WhatsApp, and as a standalone app, basically across all of the major platforms. You can imagine this being bedded into Facebook and um, into Instagram, I'd imagine at some point as well. Uh, I'm speculating, but I imagine that'll be the case. But this is clearly where they are trying to capture a huge share of not just the payment space, but the Libra space, right? <laughs> and, and and when I was looking at the mock-ups that they share, we'll share out in the notes, the, the link to the, the news release. You could also Google it, it's super easy to find. But like, it looks like it'll operate like a mobile payment system, just like Venmo or one of the many, many other online uh, or mobile payment platforms. The key here, though, which I thought was particularly interesting, and this is where it comes back to how decentralized is Libra and and the broader Libra infrastructure, right, is with Calibra, the Facebook subsidiary, their wallet, they will be the custodian of all of the data. People won't have, you won't have your own private key to access your Libra via the Calibra wallet. It will operate just like a Venmo, etc. And Calibra says a, a quote, Aside from limited cases, note on the limited cases, <laughs> Calibra will... <laughs> I know, I know, it's so vague. Um, Calibra will not share account information or financial data with Facebook or any third party without customer consent. I think the two big things that I pull out from that is limited cases, 
and customer consent. Mm-hmm. We, we, we've talked about consent in on a data level uh, before, and I think that is... Most people have no idea what they're consenting to when they sign up for a platform. Um, even the best of us fall, fall uh, prey to that. And then this vague, limited cases um, piece. Th- this is what actually worries me uh, because, I mean, we've heard this before, right? Oh, yeah. This is like, to me, this just reads as classic Facebook. And I think that, um, like, th- this is definitely one of the, the large areas where, as we were sort of alluding to earlier, you may start to see some of the principles that would theoretically make cryptocurrency so powerful and give it such potential to change the world and uh, empower so many people financially. Uh, you start to see them eroded a little bit mm. with the the structure of this system. Yeah, and I think this is definitely the probably the most contentious part of all of this is is that one piece. Um, so I think we've we've dug into a lot here so far. What I I just wanted to pull out a few tiny little um, extra pieces that's related to when when me and yourself Austin were going through the the more technical paper. We pulled out a few quotes uh, and data points that I think are particularly interesting in relation to Libra. Um, the that are useful for people to know and get a little bit of context into what this all is uh, just before we close this episode out. But so. From, from the white paper, what they describe the Libra, in quotes, blockchain as is the Libra blockchain is a single data structure that records the history of transactions and states over time. So this is like not, not technically speaking a blockchain as a result of that. But one thing I, I would say and would call out is it is open source. It's going to be an open source platform um, that... that the Facebook team have committed uh, a, a huge amount to building out and supporting long-term. The interesting thing I found, which I honestly was not anticipating, was that Facebook described Libra as a uh, a smart contract platform. And I think that has really interesting implications for the future of how Libra could be used. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh- yeah, but primarily they do state that it is a medium of exchange. And then the the last piece here that I think is very interesting, and I mean, this could be a complete overestimation, but uh, it could also be the truth. Um, what they, they state, the estimated transactions per second of, uh, of Libra will be 1,000, 1,000 transactions per second. So for, for, for some context here, Bitcoin's average is anywhere between 3.5 and 7 transactions per seven uh, per second. So that's a, a, a huge oh increment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ethereum, which is pretty much double Bitcoin, right? Is uh, Its max transactions per second is around 15. Um, but then to, to bring this back to Earth, right? Visa, they process around 45,000 per second. So... I, th- I feel like there's nothing better that showcases the past, present, and future of this space uh, than, than those stats. Yeah, I absolutely. And I think that, um, like, when, when you bring that comparison to the table of, like, okay, so this is uh, an incredible 
jump from three and a half to seven transactions per second up to a thousand. I think that's an excellent accomplishment. But then uh, you you know you put it into perspective with Visa processing forty five thousand transactions per second, and you start to realize like oh actually there's still a long way to go. And mm. luckily the the companies that have achieved these transaction rates with different technology in the past are part of the association that is theoretically going to be governing governing this cryptocurrency. So um, I would be interested to see if, you know, there are plans for future innovation, if that's something um, that those organizations would be able to contribute to, or uh, if this is going to be a relatively stagnant set here and if we find out that that's like the the transaction capacity of mm. libra and that's the maximum then are does that matter are there are there implications to that like obviously visa operates at a much greater scale than oh, yeah. libra definitely initially would if if not perhaps you know forever i i mean maybe that's a bit of a skeptical view of, of the world of cryptocurrency especially when you know facebook is clearly going for large scale adoption here but um i do wonder like you know is a thousand enough is it a small number is it uh permanent yeah. we'll they see. call out actually in the uh in i think it's the the initial white paper that there are they, they specifically say there are scalability obstacles that they need to overcome and i think they're specifically referring to transactions per second and a few other things um and and i mean in in fairness to them if they have the right people in that organization to help solve some of those things um it's probably also an unfair comparison to compare libra to the likes of uh bitcoin and ethereum and co because they are truly different data infrastructures uh one's built on a decentralized blockchain the other is not and i i think that's a key aspect of of all of this but hopefully for for all of our listeners this has been a an, a somewhat interesting deep dive hopefully we've been able to cut through all of the jargon and the hyperbole to some extent we're going to have a number of guests that will go deeper into libra but also a bunch of other happenings in the crypto and blockchain space over the next few weeks we are so excited to get back into your eardrums with uh with more and more episodes of the podcast but until next week uh, make sure you drop us a nice little rating in the app store keep subscribed and we'll be back with more and more great episodes for you to enjoy see you next time everyone <laughs>